Okay, so as Adam uh, sort of did a little pitch last week, the next uh, handful of weeks we're going to be going through this book called Tell Someone. Oops. That's Adam's nose. Um, Tell Someone in the subtitles, You Can Share the Good News. And it's by uh, Greg Laurie. Some of you might recognize his name if you saw the movie Jesus Movement, uh, I mean, uh, Jesus Revolution. He was part of the Jesus Movement. Um, still does a lot of evangelism and what have you, and so some of you understand a little bit about his personal story, maybe if you saw that movie or, or read about him before. Um, so, you know, you, you always start off these things and say, why this book or why this study, right? And, you know, we're going through the book of Acts, right? And the book of Acts is primarily centered on sharing the good news and evangelism. Um, but... It's one thing to read about the stories in the New Testament. It's another thing to have that practical application, uh, you know, day to day. Um, so what we're hoping is that this helps with that application of the X sermon series. Um, I, I would really like to preface this by saying this isn't meant to be a guilt trip. I think for a lot of us it might feel convicting in some way, shape, or form, and that's probably a good thing, right? Sort of reliven things in our lives and sort of keep us focused on what we're commanded to do. Um, and then for some folks, hopefully uh, through this, you'll either get more courage or find that extra courage or maybe just find the joy of evangelism. Um, so sometimes that, that may be lacking a little bit as well. Uh, so we'll work through these things. Um, one of, the, one of the quotes in the preface of the book is uh, a pretty interesting quote, and this might actually be worth sort of jotting down on your paper. The gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Right? So put it in perspective, right? <laughs> if somebody never, never is saved, it wasn't really good news for them, right? It's just condemning. Um, so it's really only good news if it gets there in time, and you could add on a little bit, and, you know, people respond, uh, but um, there you have it. So you saw how small the book was. It's only 128 pages long, very short read if you want to get a copy yourself. Um, now, I'm also going to preface things this week and maybe next week because we'll see how far we get this week. You got this handout. Don't, don't go ahead on the questions. You probably could, but the danger in that is, like all of us, we tend to start forming our defense of our opinions and thoughts, um, and it's helpful to have some context when we go into those questions. So, uh, so don't, don't go ahead. I'll prompt you for it. Just roll with it, if you wouldn't mind. Um, okay, a little bit about the author real quick. Uh, Greg Laurie, I mentioned, uh, he's, he's the pastor of Harvard, uh, Harvest Fellowship. Um, like many others, especially as a young a uh, teenager. He had a lot of curiosity about things. Um, he became very cynical and angry and mad at the world because things weren't working out. His mother, uh, over the course of his life, had been divorced seven times. Um, he had just a constant run of a new dad or, in some cases, abusive uh, fathers and, and things. So he got very, very mad at the world. He wondered... A couple of key questions, though, and, and a lot of times I don't know if I really think about people thinking these thoughts, right? I think they're just sort of going on with life, but some of his key questions were, 
What if Christians are right? Or what if God can be known in a personal way? Um, You know, he had thoughts about, was there a God out there somewhere? And he recognized that Christians were for God. So that made him start wondering, does that mean I'm against God? If I believe there's a God. So, you know, these are common questions, actually, that a lot of people, if you sort of step back, you're like, yeah, I bet people do have these same sort of questions. Um, and, uh, and, and so he ended up, I'm not going to go through his whole story because the book's not about him, right? It just gives you a little context for why he feels uh, the need to write the book. Um, he did end up coming, becoming saved, and now he's pastor of one of the biggest churches in California, has done evangelistic you know, crusades around the world. Um, so he's got a lot of experience, and I think that's what you take away from the author is he's got a lot of practical experience that we can borrow from. Um, the other nice thing about this book is it does, does get into the word some, right? It, it's, as we go through, it's not about Greg Laurie's experience and how he's doing it. It's all based on what the word says. Um, and so that's, that's where we want to be. Okay, so we're going to get as far as we can. I, originally, Adam and I talked, and I thought maybe I could do two chapters this first, uh, first week, but I'm not sure we can get there, but we'll do what we can. So chapter one is, uh, is titled, Something Christians and Non-Christians Have in Common. Okay, so you just put that thought in your mind. Uh, but we'll, let's start off with, with uh, a very, you know, common biblical passage when it comes to evangelism, Great Commission, right? So Matthew 18, or 28, 18 to 20. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end, to the very end of the age. And a similar passage, just different, uh, um, a different quote in Mark sixteen fifteen. He said to them, "Go into all the world, preach and preach the gospel to all creation." Okay, so those those two, you, you know, they're parallel passages. Um, that's the foundation of this. Uh, so, what are some key takeaways we can get from that? Well, first one is it's a command from Jesus Himself, right? Um, command directly from uh, from God. So, let's just step back a quick second, and, and this 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 week gets a little introspective. Next week gets even more introspective if if uh, we can't get through everything this week. You know, what's your view of Christ in this command? Is this a is this a past tense thing that was told to the disciples? Do you feel like it's a present tense thing and Christ, like, like you can imagine Christ telling you personally that command? Think about that for a second. And then go ahead and on your handout and answer question one. It's a pretty simple question, just whatever you want to hand out. Whatever comes to your uh, mind there. So the question is, I believe an act like the Great Commission applies to, just fill in the blank there, all right? So as you answer that, the, the fact is a lot of, 
you know, answering that kind of question often causes people to cringe. So, but here, here's the part where believers and unbelievers have a lot in common is, uh, and here's the quote, there's one thing that believers and unbelievers have in common, they are both uptight about evangelism. Oh, you know, I think that's, hopefully that's, uh, maybe, maybe that resonates with you, maybe it doesn't, right? Or, and then take that a little bit further, why might we be uptight? Do we often plan for failure more than we plan for success? Or think about evangelistic efforts being a failure more than being successful? I, I think I probably do. Um, I don't know about everybody else. Uh... But that's a, you know, that's a tough thing. The, the book goes on to quote uh, that 95% of all Christians say they've never led another person to Christ. And let that sink in a second. 95%, right? And 80% of Christians have never even invited anybody to church. So he's got lots of little good quotes in this book. Um, one of the things he says, you know, the Great Commission is arguably become the great omission, uh, where we're just not necessarily responding. Um, so as, as we go through this, I'll also try to tie in some of the, some of the sermon series as well. The, Adam preached a sermon on August 13th from Acts 12, 20 to 25. And the third point in that series, or, or sermon, was the kingdom of God will continue to advance in the people of God. And then Adam made clear that we have to speak the truth, and there is no if God wants us to, it's an expectation and command. So when you, when you think about the word command, this is sort of fundamental to the Great Commission, right, is this idea of, you know, it's something we've been told to do, right? And to not do something that we've been told to do from God is a sin, and this gets, this gets sort of hard uh, sometimes because we don't like to admit when, we, when we're not necessarily doing things, right? So if we just define sin, a couple different definitions, right? There's breaking commandments or another, you know, maybe more specific definition would be a transgression against divine law or the law of God. And there's two main types of sin. There's the sin of commission, so doing what we should not do. Uh, you know, think about Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, you know, those kind of things, right? We did something we were told not to do. And then you have sins of omission, which is not doing what we should be doing. So, you know, James 4, 4.17 talks about submitting ourselves to God, uh, which is basically saying do what God wants, right? Do what God has told us to do. So the book gives a good example of, you know, think about you're walking down your neighborhood street or driving down, if you live in the country, you know, driving down the road and, and you see a house on fire. Nobody's around, you just see the house on fire. Think about, you know, would it be right to just go on past that and not even call 911? I mean, I would hope most of us would at least pick up the phone and call 911, right? And go, oh, that's not good. Right? Or car on fire or something like that, right? Um, but then put, put this in context, right? 
in evangelism. Every day we walk by people that we know and, and people we don't know who are without Christ, and we don't do anything to help them. You know, do we initiate a conversation about our faith? Do we just keep on with our same routine? Do we view lost souls as important as helping someone whose house is on fire? So, you know, if you think about calling 911, are we even praying for the people we're passing by or the people we live near or work with? And praying's not too much different than calling 911, right? <laughs> sort of a 911 to God to help. Um, so the book goes on. It, it talks about hey, God loves people and he doesn't want them to go to hell. Um, he's just, and sinners have to be redeemed to spend eternity with him. And he loved us and others enough to send Christ, who's part of him and his son, to die for us. So, okay, so God cared enough about me, cared enough about you to, uh, to send Christ. So let, let's, let's keep going down the next sort of section in the book. Do you truly believe God can use you? You know, could it happen before the day is over today? Might be prompted to share your faith. What are you going to do? All right? But the book goes on, and again, this is sort of the introductory chapter, so it goes on to talk about how God will empower us. Uh, he's searching for someone to say, use me, Lord, right? And in Second Chronicles 16.9, it talks about, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth and strengthen those who har- whose hearts are fully committed to, the- to him. Now, it goes on to talk about other things in that chapter as well, but that truth still holds uh, no matter our situation, right? So if we're fully committed to him, God will strengthen us in our hearts. So we're going to go through a couple more questions now. And I'll just prompt it by saying, do you see this as an adventure, a burden? Is it dangerous? Where does evangelism fall on your spectrum there, right? And it could fall a whole bunch of different places. So go ahead and answer question number two, which is, you know, I think evangelism and sharing the gospel is, and just put down your predominant thought. You can only choose one. Just put down your predominant thought that comes to mind and where you think you fall. Okay, and then we're going to roll right into question number three there. Does anybody need a handout still? Okay, because it gets a little less interesting if you don't have the handout. Okay, thank you. Um, Okay, and then question number three is, my biggest obstacle in personal evangelism is, and then just check something on that spectrum that you think is, uh, you know, again, your predominant thought. Don't overanalyze it. Don't put down what you think you should put down. Again, you're not, we're not forcing anybody to share your answers. So, Okay, and just and, and for now, it's just sort of marking where where your where your mind is, right, and and where you're at. We'll circle back to some of this. So, another aspect of this is okay. You have these things that you know might stress you out or 
or you know you sort of figure out where you are. Some of you might be on one end of that spectrum where you're answering the question, you know, uh, you know, for question number two, hey, this is really exciting, um, you know, or hey, I get a lot of joy in doing this. Um, I, I venture to say because I'm not going to make people raise your hands, but a lot of us probably are not in that part of the spectrum. I could be wrong. Um, maybe you are. Like maybe you just can't wait to talk to the next person and and share your faith. Um, you know, I, I suspect most of us are a little more down on the intimidating side of things or the downright scary and dangerous side of things. I, I could be wrong. But but there is one thing the book uh, highlights is you know sharing brings joy. Uh, and so go ahead and answer question number four. How joyful are you about your salvation? Again, just put like an X or something. So I suspect a lot of folks are probably somewhere in the middle, right? You know people, you, you, you have some joy, you feel like other people need to know it, and you're just not really sure how to get there, maybe. Um, you know, if people are commenting about it, then it's probably a little more visible, right? You could, you could almost turn and ask that question a, a second way of, how would others describe my joy? Not like your spouse, necessarily but, you know, others you interact with on a regular basis. So you could also look at that question that way. You might actually find that it's a different spot on the scale. Like, you've got this perception of yourself, and when you sort of look at it through other people's eyes, you're like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not, you know? They're always talking about how grumpy I am, or I always talk about all the sad things in life, um, and the joy never comes through, or, or what have you. So you could also think about that that way. The book goes on uh, about how sharing brings joy. Uh, Luke 15, 17 talks about how heaven rejoices in each one being saved. uh, Luke 15, 7. It says, I tell you that in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So, you know, part of, part of us as Christians is we get to share in that joy, right? It's not just the angels rejoicing. All of us have the opportunity to share in that joy. And think about it when somebody talks about, hey, if you've ever interacted with somebody who says, hey, I got a chance to help somebody come to know Christ and how exciting that is, if you've ever been in that scenario, hopefully, or just interacted with that person and you're like, that is awesome, right? And you get to share in that. Well, it's the same thing with the angels rejoicing. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually uh, has a little quote that says, joy is a serious business of heaven. You ponder that a little bit. Um, But there's joy in salvation. There's joy in people growing spiritually, right? For those of you who are parents, watching your kids develop and learn new skills and things, it's the same sort of joy, right? That You're like, wow, look at this. Look how this person is developing. Look at how this person is growing in Christ. And it gets pretty exciting especially in the early stages, quite honestly, right? When they're really sort of getting things. So, not in the book, but I'm going to sort of, I'm going to ask this question. So, think about your joy when you're talking about 
your faith with somebody else, right? Or how your faith might be coming through. Now think about how you talk about the Chiefs game. For those of you who are football fans, maybe you got some Royals fans out here, but I don't know. You know, but anyway, but think about the Chiefs game, right? Look, look at how people, maybe, maybe yourself, maybe, maybe it's others, you know, how joyfully we cheer for our team and talk about the game in detail. I mean, this is a two-hour football game on a Sunday or Monday or Thursday or whatever. And then ask yourself, why don't I do the same thing about what's even infinitely more important? To me, that is actually sort of convicting because I like sports. And I like, to, I like to cheer for the team or, you know, whatever the case is, right? And so I'm like, man, if I only talked about my faith as much as I talked about a sports game that, quite honestly, is somewhat irrelevant in life, right? Shouldn't we be that much more joyful? Uh, so uh, the book goes on to talk about it, but it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just we should be joyful. Like, okay, it's another command. Do we... Do I really have to, you know, it's not about having a facade, right? It's, it's also about just sort of, you know, how you live life. So Greg Laurie poses the, the premise that the happiest Christian, or Christians are the evangelistic ones. The unhappiest ones, he throws out, are the ones who get nitpicky, start arguing theological minutiae. You know, their heads are always buried trying to be right. And they completely miss out on opportunities. And so they're, they're just missing the joy that comes from sharing your faith with somebody else. And you're just missing that component uh, that goes on. First uh, John 1.4, at, at the beginning of those first four verses, uh, John's uh, you know, talking about the gospel. And you know, he talks about, we write this to make our joy complete, right? So it's, it's hey, if we're not doing this, we don't get to experience all of what Christianity has to offer. Um, so if you need, you know, if, if, if you're like, man, this just feels like a burden, you know, just sort of take that on as far as you might be missing something, right? We might be missing this joyful component. Um, as we go on, uh, Acts twenty thirty five talks about it's more blessed to give than receive. Um, and so, you, you know, you take that one step further and ask the question, well, what's more meaningful than giving, you know, help, helping give, right? We don't give it, but helping uh, provide a, a path to salvation for somebody. Um, Acts 20.35 says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself is more blessed to give than receive. And then in Colossians 1.28 it says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so that's the joy, is we get to help present other people. And, and again, just sort of take it out of the evangelistic concept, uh, concept here for a second, right? How do you feel when you help somebody? I mean, maybe it's just helping the neighbor. You know they need help. You know, maybe you went out of your way, maybe you had time. It doesn't really matter, but you went over and helped that person with something you know they really needed help with, just an extra set of hands. How does that make you feel when you walk away from it? Something that simple. I'll even simplify it more. Somebody needs a pen, and you offer them your pen. 
And you feel, you actually feel that little spark of joy, right? Like, hey, I got to help this person. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, there, there is a lot of joy to be had in evangelism. And so, again, sometimes it can feel like a big burden, uh, but we don't want to lose sight of the joy. So the book goes on in another section and talks about how God chose to work through us. So go back to question number three, you know, and, and just think about that for a second or look at what you, wrote, what you checked off, right? My biggest obstacle in personal evangelism is, right, it has this range from fear to I struggle to even care or what have you. And, th- and there's lots of, you know, you could probably come up with your own spectrum of things. You could probably come up with your own list of things, of obstacles. We all have them. Um, but the Bible is full of stories of God working through people uh, with shortcomings and, and obstacles, right? You had Moses in Exodus saying, I can't, right? You had Jeremiah in, early, in the first chapter of Jeremiah saying, I'm too young, you had Noah and Samson. Well, they both had a drinking problem at times, right? Uh, you had Abraham and Sarah thinking they were too old. Uh, you had Jacob, who was a liar. You had David, who had an affair. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Timothy had an ulcer, right? There, there's all sorts of things out there that we could say are in the way. Personal discomfort. Family hereditary things that we've, you know, learned early in life that we sort of carry on because that happens a lot of time, times. Um, and so that sort of leads us into this next, next piece of the book, which sort of asks the questions, you know, do you feel like you're qualified, that you're gifted, you're talented, you're self-confident? Most of us would probably answer no to those questions, and that's actually a good thing, and here's why. You know, because a lot of times we say, well, I just don't have the confidence to do that, right? I, I don't know how other people do that, like, and, and, and you know, uh, or I'm not gifted, right? Well, Moses said he wasn't gifted either at speech. Um, he did some pretty amazing things over the 40 years uh, with God's help. But, but here's the truth uh, that the book lays out, and I think, I, I would hope we can all agree with this. You, me, Right? We are just the person God is looking for and has chosen. So let that sink in a little bit, right? You are just the person God has chosen to help spread his message. In fact, he likes to use people who aren't self confident and those other things because he will be glorified. And it's all about God's glory, it's not about our glory. So as soon as we set that aside and say, why am I doing this? Well, it's not so I look good, not so you look good or whatever, right? It's, it's so God looks good. God is glorified. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.7 talks about, or says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this surpassing power is from God and not from us. Okay, and then, and then Adam had a, a sermon just a handful of weeks back on the 3rd of September on Acts 14, talking about how the kingdom will advance. Uh, hopefully you remember that sermon a little bit. Um, and one of the uh, er, basic uh, points of that sermon were the kingdom will advance by means of God's witnesses, God's gospel, God's power, 
God's grace and God's church, right? And, and two of these things are sort of where we're focused on. God's witnesses, right? Takes people to interact with people, right? And God's power. Um, so the book has, he's got a lot of quotable quotes in here. Um, and, and here's a couple of really good ones that were sort of back-to-back, which is, God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability, Right? So that might be one if you struggle with, I don't have the right skills, you just write it down and just remind yourself. It's really about being available to God and making yourself uh, willing. And then the other one is, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Right? So again, if you're struggling with that a little bit, am I really qualified to do this? You know, do I have the, the ability of talking about the Bible with people, well, you don't have to have qualifications, right? God God will take care of that when the opportunity arises. Now, it doesn't mean we're not preparing ourselves, right? We can certainly help that by learning and and what have you, but when the time comes, God will give us the, the skills we need and the right words we need. So, and that brings into the, loops into this next point in the book, which is, and this one I will ask for a show of hands. How many of you have been going to church for a while? Uh, just about everybody, right? Okay. And the point is, well, God's blessed us with all these sermons and messages, books we've read, personal study over the years. And why has he blessed us with all that? Because so we can hoard it? to ourselves, in our inner circle, or is it so we can share it? Well, the book's premise is here in this part, it's so we can share it, right? That's this constant equipping and, and growth is so that we can continue to share it with other people and be even more prepared when the opportunity comes, not so we can just feel self-gratified about how much we've learned and what have you. So... The book, uh, the book also um, throws this out, and I think this is an important thing, so I'll read it twice. So get the idea of sharing, uh, of sharing being something that we can't do or shouldn't do for some reason or will be miserable doing out of our heads. Right? And that, that's easier said than done. But how many of us almost think of it as a sort of miserable experience, Right? Um, you know, we can, we can, or we are blessed to be a blessing, going back to the scripture, and we can be a blessing, and we should be a blessing. Okay, so we're going to start rolling into chapter two a little bit, because we're doing okay on time, but I'm going to pause there. That's sort of the end of chapter one, and again, it sort of sets a framework more than diving into the specifics, right, um, of certain areas, but does anybody have any thoughts on any of what I just brought up. Maybe you don't agree with something. Does he get into later in the chapters of like some of the obstacles of why yeah. they are, people don't share the gospel? Yeah, we, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, it's a little less of, uh, the book it, it probably is a little less of breaking down excuses and more of just saying, here's where we should go, here's how we should do it kind of things, um, and it's more about arming us 
to do that. But the next chapter is, is really the fundamental reason, arguably, of why we don't, the fundamental obstacle. Any, any other questions? Okay. I'm looking at the clock here, so... Uh, yeah, I'm wondering if we should keep going. Yeah, okay, we'll keep going. All right, so we're going to just start off this next chapter, which is titled, Effective Sharing Starts with Caring, right? You know, you've heard the little sharing is caring kind of, right? It's a little colloquial and uh, might be a little corny, but, um, but this is a fundamental piece. So question number five, answer that. I think unbelievers are, you know, and it's, you know, you see them as the enemy, you see them as a bother, you see them as bad influence on your family, you see them as a lost cause, and not worth another try. I'm just too impatient and too busy to deal with them. You know, those types of things. So just, you know, again, there's sort of a scale there. If you want to write your own piece in, you can write your own piece in, but it sort of gives you a piece, right? And, uh, on the scale there, it's got everything from honestly, I just can't relate to them, to I feel like they're threatening to me or my family at times. Uh, maybe a necessary inconvenience. I'm indifferent or not sure what to think. I'm overwhelmed because they are always on my mind. So the, the question really here is, how much do we really care about unbelievers? Second uh, Timothy 2.26 talks about, is going through there, and this is just the excerpt, right? And, and, they will, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will, right? So, you know, if you, if you care about somebody, you're hoping they come to their senses, right? You know, so think about, like, your kid. Like, why won't they just get it? Like, why don't they come to their senses and get on with the program, right? Uh, that kind of thing. It's, it's sort of the same concept here. Okay, so is your, maybe you're still pondering question five a little bit, but let's move on to question number six. You know, consider this, this requires a little more interaction, and we might stop after this because you need a few minutes to do this. Um, consider who's in your normal day-to-day life for each category of the relationships that are there. So now is when you probably want the bigger piece of paper. Um, but write down names as many people as you can, right? It's just sort of rapid fire what comes to your mind. Um, you can go back later and fill out the list more, but write out names of key people in each of those categories uh, that are there, right? We've got friends, family and relatives, coworkers and associates, neighbors, people you know through activities, People who attend church but may not yet be saved. People whom with you regularly react or interact on social media. And then you know, sort of a catch-all category of others. And begin with those people whose salvation you are unsure. Since that's really the focus. I'll give you a few minutes to jot those down.
You don't need to restrict your list to those who you care about most, although those are probably the first ones that will end up on the list, and that's okay. Um, but, you know, just think about who you interact with the most. Those of us in the workplace spend a good eight hours a day, one-third of the day, interacting with people, so there's bound to be some of those folks. Feel like you got a halfway decent list going, then just sort of look up. That way, I know sort of when we're when we're okay. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Now, what I'd like you to do is is go back and circle the names of people who you interact with the most often. So you're sort of like taking this bigger list and narrowing it down to sort of the key folks, if you will. Okay, and after you do that, and then put a star next to the names of the people who you have the closest relationship, which may or be may or may not be people you circled, right? Okay, so the point of going through this little drill was really just to point out you have a lot of key connections with people that need a personal relationship with God. You know, you probably care about some of these people more than others. That's natural. It's okay to want to circle or star their names. You know, but we also don't need to ignore other people who need to hear the message of the gospel. And Quite honestly, this, you know, reason's very simple, right? God cares, and therefore, we should care. Uh, sometimes it's easier to talk to people we're closest to. Sometimes it's easier to talk to people we're not closest to, right? And it's a little less intimidating or threatening or, or what have you. Um, you know, some people would say, hey, I find it much easier to share the gospel with the Uber driver or something than you know, with my brother or cousin or something. Um, because, you know, it could be a variety of things. You know, fear of rejection or what have you. So we're going we're gonna to end with uh, sort of one question out of the book. Do you, do you care about people in your life who don't know the Lord? 
right? And really consider your thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? And those are all linked, thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? So you can have the great thought, but if the feelings and actions aren't aligned, then eh, something's probably a little bit off there, right? And we're going to pause there, and next week we'll pick up with question six. So you can just fold that up and put it, you know, tuck it in your Bible or your notebook or whatever, and we'll pick up next week. Now, I am going to, am going to end with one thing uh, before you completely tuck that away. Uh, one thing as we go through this for the next bunch of weeks is uh, we got, I'm going to offer this prayer challenge over the next few weeks. And so there's some prayers in the book. Some of, in some cases, sort of combine two chapters, prayers together, um, just to sort of help help it flow through our study format. Um, but one of the things is is we go through is is creating new habits of thinking, and maybe new habits in prayer and what have you. Um, and I'm going to go, it's a secular book, although the guy is a Christian, but it's, it was written to be a secular book as far as uh, how do you overcome constraints and build in the right habits, right? And, and it's a really simple thing. You might have heard some, something like this before, right? But if you do everything, if you do your new habit that you're trying to create every day for a month, like review it in the morning and say, I'm going to try to do that, you're not going to be successful every day. But... You're going to try to do that every day. You do that every day for a month. And then you go to weekly for the next five months, and then monthly for the next six months, you will find that after a year it is a new habit. You'll, you'll have completely created that new habit of thinking, and therefore it's always in your mind. And personally, I've tried it, and yes, it does work. Um, and, uh, and so part of our prayer challenge here as we go through this is, that you pray the prayer at the end of that handout every day. Well, now it's going to be the next two weeks. So now you get two weeks. Um, and you can modify the prayer if you need to. If you're like, hey, this is this isn't how I pray or whatever, fine. Modify the prayer. But get the gist of it, right? So I'm just going to read it, but we're not going to pray it together. This is, this is uh, up for you. But you know, the prayer is, Lord, you told me to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But in all honestly, on, honesty... And I'm not doing that as I should. Sometimes I don't really even care about others. Please remove the excuses that bind my will from obedience to you. Will you give me a heart for those who do not know you? Will you give me a burden for people who are not believers yet? I am afraid. I am nervous. What if they won't listen? What if they mock me? What if they reject me and you? Give me all that I need to avoid the sin of not sharing the only thing that can save your gospel. Give me the, that concern for them that would reflect your heart as you showed me through Jesus Christ's example and death on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So again, modify the prayer if you feel the need to, right? Pray it, pray it honestly. If you don't think you can pray that honestly, that's something to pray about, right? Um, so, but, but when you get right into this, um, you know, God will equip us if we're willing to make ourselves available and willing to spread his gospel. So we'll continue to work through this, um, but let's go ahead and and wrap this up in in prayer here. Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us to care about others, 
more by sharing what's most important, that is you, Christ. We, we ask that you would help us to do this not out of just obedience, but also out of joy, uh, that you would convict us as needed, Lord, and in all this that you would be glorified. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, take this and that you would help us think about it more uh, throughout this week and as we go through the study. In Jesus' name, amen.